Welcome back to the show. We've got another episode of Ask a Trainer Live with Jesse and JP, trainers at FitBod. Welcome back to the show, gents. How are you? As always, it's great to be here and excited to get to this roundtable. I like the subjects we all got. Yeah, exactly. So we're going to do a roundtable. Each of the hosts has a specific topic that we wanted to bring up, and these are representative of our lives in the gym. These are things that we encounter on a regular basis. We see them in the community, and uh, I'll kick things off. One of the things that I've heard time and time again from folks that are working really hard in the gym, but they're not experiencing the benefits. They're not seeing the results. And I think what happened to me in my experience, similar to this, is that I was working really hard. I was doing about four workouts in the gym every week, and I was yet to see any kind of massive gains. And I couldn't see my muscles, and it was just so frustrating to me. And it wasn't until I looked at my nutrition that I began to understand the massive importance of nutrition, how much nutrition matters in the overall scheme of fitness. So I wanted to cover this and we'll open it up in in just a moment, but I wanted to wade into this discussion with what I've learned over the last couple of years of working out and, and actually experiencing some of the benefits. The first thing that I think I overlooked initially was the role that protein plays in muscle growth. Muscles cannot grow without the sufficient amount of protein. And when I took a look at my diet and started to prioritize protein first, I continued to work hard, but I also was able to work even harder in the gym. And I started to see gains in the strength as well as in the muscle size. So I wanted to open that up as a topic. Jesse and JP, is this something that you're familiar with that you've experienced? Yeah, definitely. Supplements, but protein in general. Protein is probably the most basic substance that I think everyone can kind of relate to who's ever been in the gym and struggled to see results, but what it does for your muscles in terms of repairing them so that they can grow and and build after a workout. I've experienced that same exact thing when I was in high school and just trying to build up a little bit of, a little bit of meat as my coach called it. Whenever I talk to people who are having this complaint, I'm at the gym and I'm working hard. The the first question I go to is, let's talk about your diet. So how do things look there? And people are always like, well, I would like to say I'm doing, there's always that like backpedal of commitment, I guess. And I often wonder why it is that people want to dismiss the importance of nutrition in this topic of conversation so easily. I know that it's the hardest thing for people to maybe get a handle on. We've all seen that saying the easy part is getting to the gym for six times a week, whatever it is that we're working out. The hard part is maybe the other 23 hours in the day of what we're doing. But I think that we underestimate the impact that nutrition can have. If you think about how many decisions you're making nutritionally in a 24-hour period or in a seven-day period, the impact that we can have with each of those decisions is compounding. There, there are so many times that we have the opportunity to make a better choice. And so I think even if we just look at that sheerly in the numbers of how many times we have those choices to make, we can see why it's so important that we make the better choice on a regular basis with our nutrition. Yeah, I, I agree. I think the the challenge though, Jonica, is that A lot of people don't understand how to approach Mm -hmm. the right foods, how to approach the right amount of foods. And I think it'd be helpful if if we shared what our approach to to eating and nutrition is. Personally, I started with my BMR, the basal metabolic rate, the rate at which my body burns calories. This is going to give me a caloric intake number that I can target with my food 
with my intake and know that I'm going to meet the requirements of my body. Once I understand what my BMR is, then I can begin to look at the macro breakdown. What is the makeup mm-hmm. of the food that I'm consuming? How many carbs versus protein versus fats? And those are the numbers that I can play with. The, the macrobiotic breakdown of the foods that I'm consuming. And I can increase the protein. I can prioritize protein. And then I can even do things like I can go into a ketogenic cycle where I'm reducing the overall carb intake. Mm -hmm. That's what worked for me. I was able to reduce the overall body fat percentage, increase mass, muscle mass, and strength at the same time. Now, that I'm not recommending ketogenic diet for everybody. The discussion I had with someone just the other day at the gym was he came to me and he was asking if I could recommend a nutritionist or someone in town. And I said, for me, the first step that I recommend to people is to start tracking. Just start tracking exactly where you're at. If you are not seeing progress, but you have no idea what you're starting with, how are we ever going to figure out how to tweak and improve on what's happening? I think the BMR is a very hard thing to calculate exactly. And I think your body will tell you if you are gaining weight or if you are losing weight, or if you are not building muscle the way you want, your body is a reflection of the choices that we're making. So if it is not reflecting the direction that you want to be moving in, I think there's a, a need for us to to start tracking. And for me, that's just basic education. So there's a lot of apps out there. I'll recommend that people just start, don't change anything. Let's just figure out what you're starting with and where we are so that then we can look at how we can tweak what's already happening. You know, for me, when I first started working out and I started doing research and reading and all this information that I was gathering, protein was prominent. But like you said, Jonica, I didn't have nothing to measure with. So I got myself an app. But for me, initially, the goal to get more protein was I didn't want to feel hungry while I was losing weight. And then you hear on the other side, eat big, get big. But that done improperly is going to just get you fat, really. You'll get muscle, but you won't look the way you want to look. So protein is so important for several reasons. Once it builds muscle. Two, it satiates you and you don't have to suffer while you're losing that weight. So Michael, this topic is so important because protein, you take care of the protein and I believe the rest will take care of itself, the carbs and the fat, and you'll feel better overall. I do just want to play devil's advocate here for a moment because everything we're saying here is absolutely true and it's absolutely right. I do know it can be incredibly intimidating for someone getting started and you don't need to dive in immediately to all the details. So one thing that was really important for me when I got started, because immediately I went to a nutritionist, I went to a trainer, I was talking to all these different people who were all giving me crazy advice, good advice, but it was a lot to take in all at once. So I went immediately onto a paleo diet, which was too much of a shift from my like already established habits. So what I recommend is starting slow. If you're just getting started, you don't know what to do with your nutrition, start with calories. That's a great place to start. It's one number that you got to keep track of. And then after that, start moving into your macros and then even into your micros. If you really want to get into the details, look into different diets, see how you respond to different ones, but start slow. It can be a very intimidating topic and it can completely upshift your life. If you're going to start doing meal prep, that's entirely different habits that you need to build and it can be tough to do. So just start slow, do what you can, and make one good choice. You don't have to do it every day. Just do it once, and then do it twice, and then do it three times. And eventually, that becomes that habit 
and you can build on that habit over time. I couldn't agree with you more, JP. I, th- I think what you're saying is so true. And to me, that's why tracking and getting an idea of where you're at allows you to just make those small changes. I think any change that I look to recommend as implementing in someone's life or that I look to implement in my life is I ask myself, is this sustainable? Is this something that this person can incorporate, can, that I can incorporate, that can be long-term success? I'm not about those short, drastic measures. I think we look at making sustainable changes and tweaking little bits here and there of what's already going on in your life. So we're talking about the importance of nutrition. And if you're in the gym, you're working out really hard, you're not seeing benefits, take a look at your diet. We've got some advice there. Check the show notes. We're going to have some links for resources there. But Gio, you had a topic that you wanted to bring up that is kind of the flip side of this thing. Yeah. Thank you, Michael. Cutting. You know, some people don't know how to do it. And I made a huge mistake the first time I tried a a cut. I was at 12% body fat and I wanted to get down to 10. And I got too aggressive in my cut. I ended up cutting too many calories. I ended up increasing way too much cardio. And so I wanted to come to you guys to hear what you have to say about perhaps the mistakes you've heard others make, perhaps you made some mistakes, and some of the things I learned since that first cut. By the way, we're going to put in the show notes, there's a great article on the FitBob blog about how to properly cut. But some of the mistakes I made, I increased the cardio too much, I cut too many calories, even though I kept resistance training. And I think that's the key that I learned, that if you're going to do a cut, ease into it. Don't go drastic like I did. Second, maintain your strength weightlifting program. Go even harder in a sense, like lower reps, higher weight to preserve the muscle. Because man, it was so disappointing. I'm losing the weight, but I knew something was off because I felt flabbier. So by the time I got to the next DEXA scan, I had lost like 2% body mass and increased like 2% body fat. That was such a buzzkill. So here are some of the things I've learned. One, stay with the strength training, decrease the calories slowly, and give yourself enough time for the cut to work, but don't extend it too long. That's another mistake I, I made. I think I went like six months on this cut. And so <laughs> that's a big mistake. I've learned to keep it anywhere between eight to 12 weeks. And what I learned for me now is I don't want to go on this cutting and bulking cycle. I want to stay at a lean weight year round. In terms of the things that I notice as mistakes that a lot of people do, the biggest one, I think, is jumping directly from a bulk into a cut. Some people can't have success, but for a lot of people, that's too big of a shift too quickly. If you're in a 500 calorie surplus and then you immediately go into a 500 calorie deficit, you're eating a thousand less calories a day. That's a lot of food and your body's not used to that. And That's a big jump to make immediately. So I always recommend a maintenance phase in between one week, two weeks, depends on the person a little bit, but about two weeks is a good amount of time of just neutral calories, trying to maintain that muscle mass, not looking to make gains or make losses. That's a big one. And the other one is the cardio, like you were mentioning. I don't know where it came from that going out for an hour jog is a great way to burn fat. It's absolutely not. That's a great way to burn muscle. And that's a great way to lower the daily calories that you're burning. It's going to make it a lot harder to maintain that calorie deficit. You're going to have to eat less food. It's just not the right way to do it. If you do want to do some cardio, hit training's good. Sprint interval training's good. Going out for just a high intensity mile run, trying to get that six minute mile or something that can work well. 
but just going out for those long jogs is is not the right way to go about it. And then making sure that you are including that resistance training, like you were saying, that's the biggest thing. You want to maintain that muscle mass. That's the best thing you can do to help burn fat is to keep that muscle mass on your body. So JP, can I follow up with something yeah. that you said there? You talked right in the beginning there, you were talking about 500 calories kind of on either end of that maintenance. Is mm-hmm. that what you would recommend to people is to play with a 500 calorie number? Is that where people should aim for? Yes, I think so. It's going to vary a little bit. I'm not certified as a nutritionist, so I can't say yeah. too much on the nutrition side of things. But from the training side of things, that's about where I'm looking to put someone is around 500 calories. And it's going to vary a little bit. And if it's your first time bulking, your first time cutting, I would recommend even less than that, maybe 300 calories on either side, just to take it slow and make sure you understand how your body's responding. Because there can be things that happen that mess with you a little bit. If you do lose some muscle mass, which is pretty common during a cut, that total daily energy expenditure is going to go down. So mm-hmm. you might be a little bit off. And so just keeping that distance smaller from neutral calories can be a good way to just understand how your body is going to respond to what you're doing. So yeah, I'd say between 300 and 500 calories is about where you want to be. I would tack onto that and we can relate this right back to the subject we just talked about with protein. Even increasing that protein percentage of what is made up into your calories during a cut is a good way to prevent that muscle loss during the cut. And I think we can all harp on this cardio myth that you must do, like JP already said, we don't need to hit on it too hard, but doing an intense mile, intense sprint sessions, doing it in between, maybe tacking on if you really need to get it, tacking on like the air or murder bike, as some gyms call it, in between sets to keep that hit going. That's another way to do it. Keeping up the protein will help keep the muscle mass. But another thing I noticed in that first cut when I made a big mistake is my gains, not muscle gains, but my strength, like what I could bench, what I could lift was declining very rapidly. And that shouldn't be the case if you're doing a cut properly. Yes, you might lose some of that PR, but it shouldn't drop quickly. And that's another thing I learned in that first cut, which you want to avoid, which could be a sign for a person that you may be going too aggressive on that cut. And so up that protein to help mitigate that. So I'll just go ahead and weigh in on this personally. I, like you, Gio, I do not participate in a bulk and cut cycle for myself. I think a lot of my eating disordered history. And so the idea of bulking and cutting is very stressful for me emotionally, which I don't think is a healthy place for me to be. And I don't think it's necessary. It's not necessary for people to go through these cycles, is it, in order to be able to see gains in the gym. I I think we can look to our bodies and, again, use our bodies as a measure. If we're moving in the direction that we want to be moving, in, we can maintain a very similar body weight. We can maintain a similar number of calories that we're ingesting on a regular basis. This cycle is not a necessity in order to see progress in the gym, correct? Oh, absolutely not. I would say that the cut bulk thing, it's really come to light in more Mm -hmm. recent years amongst like more common knowledge because of just this influx of knowledge that we Mm -hmm. have with fitness. Cut and bulk was really related to serious bodybuilders and serious lifters, not just the general person, but now that everyone has this information, it's become almost like, oh, I have to do this. I have to have this certain thing to to see the the results I want. That's simply not true. I'm Jonica, I adhere to the same thing you do. I don't do cuts or bulks. I just like to maintain a steady fitness level. And I notice my gains in my body. As you said, the body is a great version of self of the reflection you see. And and that kind of demonstrates what Mm -hmm. you're doing. But I adhere mainly to altering my lifting style to see the results I want or increasing my CV, my cardio or increase like whatever goal I have. But 
it's absolutely not necessary to see gains that you want in the gym. It can help and it's a way to get there, but it's not the only way. Absolutely. You can train for hypertrophy or fat burning without being in a calorie surplus or deficit. You don't need to do it. I think it's very high risk, high reward. If you do it right, it can give you that advantage. It can give you that little extra bit. You can get that extra pound of muscle or burn that extra pound of fat a little bit quicker, which is great for competition. When your livelihood is riding on the line, it might be worth that risk to take it. But for the general person, I would be very hesitant to recommend a very strict cut and bulk. You can do little things to shift you towards one or the other. So one thing I'll do if I'm training for hypertrophy at the moment, I'll throw a little granola bar in my bag just so I, I can have a snack afterwards, which is maybe 100 calories that I wouldn't have gotten otherwise. Or mm-hmm. if I'm trying to burn some fat and tone down a little bit, I might have one less egg with breakfast or something like that. So nothing extreme, but you can shift it one way or the other just a touch and that could have a really good effect but you don't need to do it at all. Don't you think it's interesting? I think often people say they're on a bulk (laughs) when they're really just kind of letting loose and wanting a little bit more freedom in their life. So I don't think necessarily people are tracking (laughs) that bulk (laughs) as carefully as they might be tracking that cut when they get to that season. So I think sometimes it's just a term that gets thrown out there that isn't necessarily uh, super adhered to. For folks that are intentionally cutting, is there a time of day that eating should be done when you're not in a cut cycle? So I know there's mixed opinions on Mm -hmm. trading while fasted. I personally like doing it. I like the (laughs) feeling of not having food in my stomach when I do it. I don't think it gives me the best results. I think having calories, being able to get a more intense workout is going to be more beneficial. I think it's safer. You're less likely to have dizzy spells, get lightheaded during your workout, things like that. It's safer to be fed Mm -hmm. when you go and train. But a lot of people have had success training while fasted. I personally enjoy it. I don't think it gives the best results for me, but it is just enjoyment's part of working out. Me enjoying being in the gym helps me get there that next day. So I think it really depends on the person. And I don't know enough of the actual science to really say one way or another whether or not it's good to train fasted. In terms of time of day, I think it just really comes down to whether or not you want to do that fasted cardio. It's a lot harder to have a workout at the end of the day and do a fasted workout than it is to do it in the morning just before you have breakfast. Mm -hmm. So that would be the one time of day piece that I think Mm -hmm. works into that. I would be willing to bet that you could find a lot of evidence on both sides of that conversation, supporting either side of that. And I think it's gained a lot of traction lately. I think a lot of people have latched onto the idea that you have to work out in a fasted state. And I've actually had clients that I've worked with who it's really actually been a problem. They want to work out early in the morning and they come in and they have had to to take breaks. Like they have become very dizzy. Like one lady, I was really concerned that she, like there was something medically wrong with her. And it turned out that her blood sugar had just dipped so low. She kept repeating the same phrase over and over to me. She had to sit down. Like I was concerned that she was going to be having a stroke or something. And it turned out to Mm -hmm. just be her blood sugar had dropped so low because she was not eating anything before she came in. So I think it depends on the person. I think you have to be careful believing that's the only way to do it. I I was going to say one thing, if you do want to do something in that fasted state in the morning to get you going, one of the best things I recommend is a glass of water, no calories, you can do it room temperature, cold, warm, whatever you want to do. And then a a quick walk, very low intensity, heart rates not very elevated. That's a great way to help just get yourself going in the morning if you want to do something and it's fairly low risk, you can walk if you're a little bit hungry, it's not going to be as dangerous as being under a bench press or with a squat rack, uh, barbell on your back. 
that's one thing I would recommend if you want to see if you like that kind of fasted training, start with a walk, just 15, 20 minutes in a fasted state, see if you enjoy it, see how you like it. And that's where I normally recommend people start if they're curious about training while fasting. Great advice. Before we switch it over to the next topic, I just wanted to mention that I work out fasted, but I noticed that if I eat right away after working out, that I feel great. I feel great during the workout. I feel great afterwards. There have been a couple of times, though, where for some reason I had to skip breakfast and then I crash more than if I didn't work out and skip breakfast. Like you mentioned earlier, Jonica, there are studies on both sides. And the studies seem to lean that if you work out fasted and eat right after, you're good. It's those people who work out fasted and then want to keep their intermittent fasting till like lunch. Now you are reaching that borderline of whether it's good for you or not. Michael and I just spoke about nutrition, protein phase and a cutting phase. What about training, JP? Should we vary it? Should we keep it linear? Should we keep it nonlinear? I absolutely love this topic. I think there's so much to talk about because there's so many different ways to approach it. There are absolutely pros and cons to both. In my own training, I very much like a linear approach. I like to keep things more consistent. It helps me see progress because exercises are going to be more consistent. I guess that's another piece I should say first. There's different levels of consistency that we can talk about. One is how you're training. So hypertrophy, strength training, endurance training, anything like that at the highest level. And your workout can vary within that. And then we can talk about exercise consistency as well. And again, there's pros and cons to both. If you do a little bit of everything, you're going to be constantly making progress. You don't need to make changes to your individual workouts. You might have like a Monday workout. That's one thing. A Wednesday workout. That's one thing. A Friday workout. That's one thing. And that can stay consistent for indefinitely because you are getting that variety. Personally, I like linear training, so I'll focus on hypertrophy, then strength, then I might cut a little bit. The biggest thing you get with linear training, and specifically if you keep your exercises consistent, is you master the exercise. And that's a big piece of it. The neurological side of how comfortable you are with a given exercise. So I'll just use one for an example, bench press. So if you go in and you do a different variation of bench press every time, it's going to take you longer to get familiar with it even though you're building strength. But if you consistently, every time you go in and do a chest day, bench press is that first primary exercise. You're going to get very good at doing that exercise. You're going to know what your body can handle. You're going to be able to push yourself to the limit and you're not going to have to be thinking about things like form, your cadence, all of that is going to become second nature and you can focus on exertion. Mm -hmm. The downside to that is your body gets used to it. Exercise is all about adaptation. The best way to adapt is to give it a new stimulus to adapt to. So you're not going to have that maybe growth as you would with different bench press exercises, but you'll see that number on bench press go up further than if you had that variety. So that's the give and take that you're getting is the familiarity with what you're doing. The more familiar you are, the better you can get towards 100% of what you're capable of. But your growth is going to slow down as you do that. So it's a give and take, and it really comes down to personal preference, which one you enjoy more. I know a lot of people love nonlinear training having that variety, doing a different workout throughout the week and getting to do a little bit of everything. And then linear training is really good for people who are trying to peak at a specific time. I think it's most exemplified in athletes when it's, okay, I've got playoffs coming off. I know the day of the first game of the playoffs, I need to be at my best that day. That's where you get the most out of it. But that could be for anything. You might be running a marathon. You might have a family reunion and you just want to pick up your grandkids. You can take the same approach and apply it to anything in daily life as well. 
So if you have that moment of peaking, linear training really gives you the advantage of being able to plan that out. You can set the stage with hypertrophy, work into strength training. And then if you need some power aspect to that, you can get Olympic training into the end. You can take a little deload right before so you're nice and fresh. And then you can do it all again next season. Nonlinear training is a lot better for someone who doesn't want to have to think every time they go into the gym and can just have that consistent structure that they can follow week to week and still see consistent progress over time. Yeah, I was just going to say, is, is it possible to have a blend of both? Okay, so I love to do a, a PPL, a push-pull leg routine, on, and I've been on that forever, love it. And for me, I create consistency and go for that linear training through the compound lifts that I do on each of those days. So for me, I break down my push-pull and leg day with two compound lifts happening on each of those days. So on push day, I will do bench and shoulder press. On pull day, I will do a row and a deadlift. Those are my two compound lifts that I do. And then on leg day, I will do back squat and hip thrust. Those are my consistents. Those are my go-to. Those are my first exercises that I do on each of those days every single time that I come to that day. But then I like to mix things up when I get after those compound lifts into my accessory stuff where I feel like I can break things down a little bit so I can add some variety, add some different incline, decline, whatever it is that I'm going to do and look to make things feel like there's a lot more variety going on after I've worked on those two lifts that, that I'm really trying to see progress on. And so for me, that's how I, I find that blend of, of doing that, but still feeling like I'm moving in a direction. And like you said, getting that consistency and that practice and that nervous system familiarity with the, those compound lifts that I want to see progress. Absolutely. The reason I support that is because my first program where I saw the biggest like change in my body and the biggest strength gains I've ever had was going into my freshman year of college. And it was the UCLA Rugby's lifting program. And I'd never done anything like it, but every day... We started off with three main lifts. It was bench, squat, and some form of an ollie lift, typically as a power clean. And so if you were doing full lifts on one day, the next day you were doing like half versions of that. So essentially 110% of your max, but only going halfway down. And you do those two lifts and then everything else was just supported in terms of accessorizing. But you were really hyper-focused on these three main lifts. And to JP's point, those values that I saw, those numbers just increased and the muscle gains were just phenomenal. And I became extremely good at doing bench press, extremely good at doing power clean and power clean variations. And then everything else was just cherry on top. So totally agree with Jonica on that. Totally agree with JP on his thoughts on linear versus variability. So I, I like the flexibility and I, I agree hundred percent with an approach that incorporates at times a very linear approach where I'm building skills and repeated attempts at the same type of weight. And then at times I want to mix up the variability. So I want to ask Jesse, the app supports this, right? FitBod will support this dynamic approach, incorporating both linear and nonlinear approaches through variability. Yeah, it's a great question. And I'm glad you brought it up because it is one of the newer features that has been released within FitBod. And like a lot of our new features, it doesn't get the biggest highlight because the app is the, the main source of the, of the app or just like what you see. If you're looking for nonlinear variability, do nothing in the app. The app is fine as it works. That's what it's based off. It's based off nonlinear periodization and algorithm. So it's going to give you a variety of exercises. It's going to change those values. And you're never going to really know what you're going to get until you open the app up. If you want that more linear approach, there are a couple ways to do it. And the first one that I'll highlight is the new bell and whistle. And that is to essentially go into the app at the top of the home screen, the home page. You'll see these drop down menus. They're, they look like filters on any spreadsheet that you've ever seen. And those are daily exercise edits. So, what those do is to allow you to 
edit the day, the exercise that's going to happen on the day you're working out instead of editing your whole gym profile. And if you slide all that to the right, you'll see a variability. Variability is going to, you can say more variable or less variable, and that's essentially going to decrease or increase the lifts and the exercise that you're getting to the more common ones that you've done or the inverse of that. And then the older way to do it in FitBod, which we always supported, was the ability for people to create and save workouts. If you have a push-pull or a leg day that you either loved or you created, you can save that workout into your profile, and then all those workouts that you saved, you can title them. I'm working on one right now. I saw it in a magazine. I wanted to give it a go, and I hadn't done linear training in like, I don't know, since I've been using FitBod, so seven years. I saved five workouts. I built them out. And I just go through that save workout. Monday is this one, Tuesday is that one. And then with FitBot, of course, you can load them as is. You could load them with new suggested weights to follow your, your fitness goal, whether that be strength training or bodybuilding. So a couple of different ways we can support the linear variability. And also the app will just take into account and do its normal thing when it's uh, non-linear. That is awesome because I'm looking at the app right now and the three categories are more consistency, suggested mm. variability or more variability. And so that's good new feature to have. I go the old route, saved workouts that I love. And like Janaka, after the compound lifts, I may vary it, but those saved workouts are a blessing to me. But JP, I wanted to get to you real quick. How do you recommend a person follow progressive overload? Because you can't progressive overload till infinity. So what would you suggest if a person gets stuck at a certain place, but wants to continue gaining in that area? We get that all the time on Ask a Trader. Everyone is going to hit a plateau eventually. It's going to happen. Uh, if, you, if you're exercising for long enough, you're going to hit a plateau. One of the best things you can do then is add that variability aspect. So the first thing that I recommend is switching up your fitness goal. And if you're trying to get those numbers up, you're trying to gain muscle mass and strength, just looking at those two, alternating between bodybuilding and strength training is a great way to do that. That's going to be switching between low weights, high reps, high weight, low reps. So that's a really good piece of variability you can add, and it's really quick and dirty. Beyond that, you can start adding exercise variability. So if you're doing bench press and you're starting to struggle, start doing dumbbell bench press. That's going to start helping you develop those stabilizing muscles, which might be the limiting factor. And if you know what your limiting factor is, that can be a, a good key as to where you should be going with that exercise variability. If you don't, just start messing around with different stuff. Start getting that variability back in until maybe you identify what that weakness is. It might be range of motion. It might be stability. It might be core strength. It could be something entirely different. So just starting to mess around with different things and seeing how you respond if the initial goal switch doesn't immediately start getting you those results. To tack onto that, if we want to tie that back into the app, which I love to do in this podcast, if you ever swipe left on an exercise that you do a lot and you go to replace and you tap that replace button, there's a little filter, like almost like a gear, gear icon in the top right of that next screen. You press that down and it gives you a way to sort by the presented replacements. And those options are your best replacements. Those are the defaults. Your most logged, your least logged, never logged. So you can actually have the app choose that variable for you or recommend that for you if you don't know what to do. That's awesome. I didn't even know that was a feature and I've been using the app for several years. So Thank you for dropping that knowledge. Jesse, why don't we go ahead and dive into your topic that you wanted to bring to the table today? Why don't you let our listeners know what you want to discuss? I've been using the app for a long time, and I generally trust where it places mm -hmm. me. 
in terms of my weights and my reps and, and measure a bit like the ability that it gives me. But I've recently started really like trusting the weights, like to a T, not changing anything and just trusting the app to, okay, let, let me see if I can do that shoulder, dumbbell shoulder bench press of 65 pounds. Let, let's see if, it, if I can really get to four and I'll do it. And holy smokes, I didn't know that I was going to feel this good. So just about trusting the numbers that you see in the app, sometimes they can seem daunting and there's variability. There are various ways why that is. Maybe you're just not feeling it that day. And that obviously the app, you get the ability to change the numbers. But if you've been logging the exercises correctly to a T, it's pretty remarkable how accurate the app can make its uh, presentations to you. I have to agree with you on that one, but I I think it's important that we let our listeners know and remind our listeners that there are safe ways to attempt something that might you might feel is a little bit out of your comfort zone. And I'm going to use myself as a personal example. So yesterday, the app was asking me to back squat 200 uh, pounds for my working sets, and it was asking for five reps. So first set, I went in and I did four and I, I felt pretty tired, but I was like, okay, you know what, this is my first round. So I'll log those four. Second round came around (laughs) and I decided I went for four and I felt tired, but I was going to go for that number five. And I want you guys to know that I failed. I failed on that number five, but I had the safety arm set up on the rack for myself. So we all know that if we are safely attempting to do something like that, wasn't a big deal. Nobody in the gym even turned to look at see what was happening. There wasn't a big catastrophe. It wasn't a big noticeable event. The bar went down onto the safeties. I unracked the weight and I put the bar back up and loaded it back up and finished the rest of my sets without any problems. So I think we need to make sure that we're reminding people to do things safely. But you're right. Like you will never know unless you try. And I'm sure on a good day, I could probably have done those that those five reps for all those four working sets. But yesterday, I just didn't have it. And it was okay to fail. It was okay to try. And Janaka, I'm glad you're bringing that up because there's so much ego lifting in the gym. And if you don't try to reach a personal best, in this case, right, the fifth one, how are you going to know if you can't? I'm pretty sure that the next time you try, you'll probably get it because that was a deficit and you're going to train harder in what you can And so people listening, look, if you are taking weightlifting seriously, Mm -hmm. there are going to be days like this. Don't let that bring you down. Just know next time what your limits are and keep going after it. Don't let it become an ego prideful thing. So thank you for sharing that because people look up to you and sometimes they wonder, you know, she's perfect. She never fails. Look, Janaka is special. But look, she can admit that because it's not Mm -hmm. about ego. So thank you very much. Old adage is you have to risk it for the biscuit, Mm -hmm. right? Well, you have to safely risk it for the biscuit. I had a similar thing happen to me the other day where I saw something come up in the app and I was like, oh, I could have swore I turned that off to never recommend. And (laughs) I was glad I didn't because it was a handstand pushup. And I'm like, I can't get a handstand pushup, but they have handstand holds. I'm afraid to go upside down. It's something, but I was like, you know what? Everyone in this gym has failed. Everyone in this gym has dropped a barbell on those racks or failed or, or done a set to failure. And this is no different. So let's put a pad down. Let's put a, a yoga mat down, see what I can do. And glad to say, got a couple holds in, not getting the presses yet. You build from somewhere. 
Another thing that I want to bring up as we're talking about this is when we're talking about Eagle, I will admit I am a little bit embarrassed about my bench press numbers. I have a torn rotator cuff that I'm working through. I had to back down a long time. I'm just on my way of building back up again. And I feel a little sheepish because a number that might look really small to someone else is actually really quite challenging for me. Despite the muscle development that I have, my bench press is relatively weak. But you know what? In order for me to be able to grow, that means I have to ask somebody to spot me. And it, it might feel really silly what they might look at the number on the bar and be like, why do you need a spot, girl? But I do. I need a spot because I'm pushing myself and I'm trying to get that, those last reps out. And if we're not pushing ourselves, we, we are not growing. And so what is pushing for me is very individual. And I have never had somebody in the gym turn their nose up at me asking them for a spot on that last set where I'm going, I'll tell them how many reps I'm going for. I generally am, am able to get them. I'm not stretching so far that it, it's killer, but it makes me feel like I can push myself that little bit further to just ask somebody to give me a hand. And I think we just need to put that ego to the side and just go ahead and ask for it. People are happy to help out. Absolutely. Asking for a spot, it's critical. You you need to do that. If you're not failing, you're not trying, but there are safe ways to fail. And spotters are the best way to do that. Absolutely. And everyone has failed and everyone's been at the same spot too. No one came out of the womb throwing up three plates. Everyone started from somewhere. And while there is a lot of ego lifting, I think, I think it has gotten a lot better recently in the fact that the ego is internal. It's, I can do this. I'm going to do this. It's not so much I'm better than you. It's mm -hmm. self-motivation that I've noticed a lot more. And people are very willing to help out the gym. How many times I've been under a bar that I couldn't get up and just had to look like a deer in the headlights at someone next to me because I couldn't even speak and just, <laughs> I need some help. Please come over here. I, I need someone to get this off of me. I, I can't even count how many times that's happened to me. So always ask for a spot if you feel unsure about your weight. If it's a form issue that you're worried about, ask someone to watch your form and critique you live. Send a video to us through Ask a Trainer. We'd be happy to take a look at your form as well. We can't spot you through Ask a Trainer, although I'd love to get a feature like that where we could do that <laughs> through email. But for now, that's not really possible. Don't be afraid to make a new friend in the gym. There are trainers there who that's their entire job is to make sure you're safe while you're getting better and more fit. Yeah, I, I would harp on that again. Asking for spots, great. And two things on spots, I will say... If you see someone in the gym who looks like they're a deer in the headlights and they're circling their equipment, they're looking for a spot. Approach them. Be nice about it. Be communal. Hey, do you need a spot? That's exactly what they're looking for. They're not going to be embarrassed or anything about that. That's probably what they're looking for. Make a new gym friend out of it. And then if you do spot, ask them what they want before you just do your own spot. They might be looking mm -hmm. at different things. People like their spots in different ways. They, some people like a help off. Some people don't. Some people want you to let them fail. So just two things when spotting, look for them because they're out there and, and then ask them how they like to be spot as well. I think you ask, do you need the help of the lift off? Uh, and you generally need to ask how many reps they're actually going for. Okay. I think that's important. And then uh, often I'll have people say when you're struggling for those last ones that you can ask in the moment, do you got it? You got it. You got it. Or you can encourage them. Don't dive right in and take that away from them. Okay. They want to get that last rep. Even if they have to struggle, they want to get it on their own. Absolutely. Always communicate. Communication is key across the board. I saw a meme the other day in the gym and it's from the movie mm -hmm. Troy with Brad Pitt as playing Achilles. And he says, I won't let a stone take my glory when he's battling Hector. And the meme was, I won't let a spotter take my glory. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> and I wanted, to, I wanted to mention that because there are two types of failure. 
right? The type where you're going for that extra rep and then the type of where, oh man, I just gave out. And just be careful. Either one, you have to play it safe. We don't want an injury. And so, yes, don't let the ego. Janaka, as we conclude with you, what's the topic you have for us today? I hope I get don't get a little too feisty as I talk about this. But my thing that I want to talk about is the idea that people coming into the gym are going to accidentally get too big. And I know that this is a huge thing that I deal with with women. And I want to ask you guys, my male counterparts here, is there a, a equivalent, a male equivalent to getting too big in the gym? Because this is a conversation I have with women all the time. It may not be the equivalent, but it's the opposite tease. <laughs> Bro, do you even lift? The guys will tease each other with. You're working out hard and, and people are like, hey, do you even lift? But look, Janaka, mm-hmm. I've heard other women talk about this. It's so frustrating because I meet with women probably almost daily. I, I love to use myself as an example with them, okay? Because a lot of women will come up to me and be like, you are goals. I want to look exactly like you, but I don't want to get too big. Like, I just want to tone. And I try to to help them recognize, okay? Like yesterday I was meeting with a girl and I was like, this morning I was back squatting 200 pounds. I do not want you to be afraid. I'm not bulky. I don't feel like I've gotten too big. And I think it's important to let people know that that we can push ourselves hard. Women genetically do not have a huge capacity to get too big too quickly. Most of us struggle to actually even build muscle in the ways that we want to build muscle. Women generally carry uh, a greater percentage of body fat than men do. Our, Our muscle does not grow. We do not have the levels of testosterone in our bodies that men do that allow muscle to build. So it is very rare. The one thing that I would love to ask most people when they say that is I want to say, okay, let's look around the gym right now. We're talking about general population right here. Who's too big? Who's too bulky in this gym right now? There are a lot of women here that are working really, really, really hard. And I would venture to say that there's very few people in that gym who can be categorized as too bulky or having too much muscles. I think some women can build a lot of muscle. But I want people to realize that that does not happen by mistake. That is not an oops, I woke up the next morning and I all of a sudden have traps up to my ears. That is not something that just happens. That is concerted effort in the gym, outside of the gym, with nutrition, with recovery, with everything that's going on in that woman's life. If she has built that muscle, she's proud of it and she's worked hard for it. I I can assure you. I will say that if she's done that, Mm -hmm. kudos. And it was likely with that goal in mind, whether it be a bodybuilding goal, whether it be a sporting goal where that size is is a real benefit to her performance or their performance, you don't accidentally put on 30 pounds of muscle. You don't accidentally put on five pounds of muscle. You you just don't. Like It comes with a lot of training and with that goal in mind. I wish you could fall out of bed with 10 pounds added muscle overnight. I'd look at myself. Did I do a change movie with someone? This is amazing, but it just doesn't happen. Janica, what percentage of it or what do you think may be a reverse ego thing? Because they might be in the gym and saying, oh, I can't lift a lot. And so they use the excuse, 
oh, I'm not lifting a lot because I don't want to get too big. Could there be some mental? I think sometimes it's a way of maybe talking ourselves out of someone else's commitment and success and saying, oh, well, I don't really want what they have anyway. But I think often a lot of it comes down honestly to societal expectations on women's physicality. And I think sometimes I've experienced it myself. There can be backlash to a woman having a muscular look to to her physique. And I just want to remind people that coming into the gym, for a lot of us, there's a lot of aesthetics involved with it, but there's also an immense satisfaction in being able to push our bodies and accomplish things physically. So building muscle is a side product of accomplishing things physically and pushing yourself to do hard things and recognizing that we can do hard things in the gym and that translates and carries us in our confidence outside of the gym and the hard things that we can tackle outside of the gym as well. So I think we sometimes go in with the initial, I've seen a lot of really funny reels lately about women who started in the gym and basically their goal was to get as small as possible. And two years later, like they're looking to take up space. They are wanting to build muscle like nobody's business. So I think sometimes the idea that we come into the gym with, the idea of the goals that we have once we get in there might change as we get into that lifestyle, get into that culture of the gym and recognize that, hey, yeah, like I want to push bigger numbers. I want to commit myself. I want to do it. And that will be shown in your physique that will come across in how your body develops. And don't underestimate the huge amount of self-gratification that can come from accomplishing physical tasks in the gym. It's just as exciting for me to get a bench PR as it is for any man in there. And I want to push and to grow grow myself in those ways as well. And so I think sometimes what we start with and what we think is a newbie of what we want to get out of the experience quickly changes as we immerse ourselves in that culture. JP and Jesse, do you see a difference in the attitude that Jonica was alluding to, to women and men when they first come in for training or even in the questions you receive? Yeah, definitely. I do think it's a big societal shift. Not shift, but perception in terms of the questions we get. We don't get a lot of guys coming in asking, am I accidentally going to get too big? Mm -hmm. They're normally looking for that. That's normally why they're in the gym in the first place is to try and get all those glory muscles and big biceps. Mm -hmm. I do see it a lot with women. And the one thing that I always go back to is someone at a heavier weight with more muscle mass is generally going to look more lean than someone at a lighter weight with less muscle mass. Mm -hmm. And Using examples of that has been the best way that I've been able to show that to people of looking at before and afters of people with body comp stats being Mm -hmm. like, look, this person's 10 pounds heavier in the second photo and looks far more lean than in the original photo in the before photo. And that's for muscle mass. That's gaining muscle mass. You're not going to end up looking like a bodybuilder. You're not going to end up looking like Arnold Schwarzenegger, not accidentally, at least it's absolutely Mm -hmm. possible. If that's what you're training for, it's doable. You can do it for sure. It is difficult to do. It's not something that you're going to do by accident. You need to go in every day consistently for years to get that kind of progress. Mm -hmm. And you're not going to fall into it by accident. I I often have that conversation, JP, as well with women. And I will say, talk to somebody who has the physique that you think you want 
And I want you to guess how much they weigh, because I think we have this idea, this number of what we think we want, and we actually really don't know what that looks like. And it looks different on everybody. And somebody that has a lot of curves and a lot of muscle might have the look that you want, but you might be surprised at actually what their body composition is and how much they weigh. One other thing that I just want to say on that is I feel like sometimes it's really sad to focus purely on the aesthetics of this. And there was an example, Mm -hmm. we were doing that kind of that core challenge this month. And there was somebody who commented that they didn't want to participate in that core challenge because there was too much oblique work. And they were looking to have a narrow waist, didn't really want to build those muscles. And I think women often fall into that. They come into the gym, they're focused purely on building that booty, or they're purely focused on narrowing that waist. And I think we are forgetting the functional importance of being able to train everything in our body and to be well balanced in our training, it is going to help your body to build a little bit of muscle everywhere to make sure that we are training everything. Don't make the mistake of coming in and thinking you're just going to focus on one thing and everything else can just go to pot. There's huge benefit aesthetically and functionally from training everything. This has been a really fun hour to sit and discuss. I think these episodes could go on and on and on, but we are going to wrap there and we'll save some of our discussion for a future episode. But thank you guys so much for bringing these topics to the table. I feel like we're discussing things that are conversations that are had all the time on the Facebook community page, in the gym with fellow gym goers, and amongst just ourselves as we're prepping to to get into these discussions. I think we talk about these things in our downtime as well. So thank you guys so much for weighing in on all these topics. It's been really fun. Yeah, always a good time. Thanks for having us. Thank you again for having us. Thanks to our listeners. Check out the show notes at fitbod.me slash podcast for all the details from this episode. Download the FitBot app from the Apple App Store or the Google Play Store. Use the promo code BUILT for a 14-day free trial. We'd love to hear from you. Leave us a comment and a rating on your favorite podcast network. Thanks, everybody. Have a great week.